instead of basically delivering her and then casting himself out, he casts out his daughter to save himself, which I think in the sermon point I made, like that's, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus does for us, where he casts himself out to be consumed by us so that we would be delivered. So it's Jesus is the, is the faithful father who does not cast out his daughter. He actually, he saves her by casting himself out. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology, and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. This episode is brought to you by the Davenant Institute which seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this aim is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. Davenant Hall specializes in educating the interested layperson, pastors looking for a refresher and more, by focusing on the primary documents of the Reformation Church. No survey texts. Go right to the sources with an expert guide. Davenant Hall offers two programs, a certificate, and a Master of Letters in Classical Protestantism, which is roughly equal to an MAR program at a seminary. In both, they will ground you in the theological, biblical, historical, philosophical, and linguistic foundations of the Protestant faith. There is almost nothing like this. Plus, Davin Hall delivers these programs via digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable through online courses. You will also have access to their Davenant Common Room Discord server to keep up with the lecturers and your fellow classmates. Davenant Hall insists on in-person fellowship as key to Christian formation, hosting regular residentials at the Davenant House Study Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains in South Carolina. So, if you're looking for a new course of theological study, I urge you to consider enrolling at Davenant Hall this fall. Visit www.davenanthall.com to find out more. Lastly, GGG listeners who are first-time Davenant Hall students get a $25 discount on auditing any of their next term's courses with code GGGTrinity24, which is in our show notes. Again, please visit www.davenanthall.com to enroll. Hey, this is Peter Bell, and I am in the beautiful wine country of Central Coast, California, in Santa Maria, north end of Santa Maria, in Santa Barbara County. I serve Redeemer OPC, Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church, on the north end of Santa Maria. We meet at Temple Bethel, which is right there, Temple Bethel, at 11 a.m. for Sunday service and 9.45 a.m., so just before that for Sunday school. For all ages, we have kids Sunday school, adult Sunday school or all Sunday school at 945. You can find us at discoverredeemer.org with one R. Again, discoverredeemer.org. We have a bunch of activities throughout the week. But most importantly, Sunday we have the gospel preach 
the, the sacraments administered and church discipline faithfully brought out. So I hope to see you here at Redeemer OPC in Santa Maria, Central Coast, wine country of Santa Barbara. Hope to see you. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Danny Hyde from the Oceanside United Reformed Church. I want to invite you out to our church. We meet in sunny Southern California, uh, here in San Diego, and we meet at the Army-Navy Academy in Carlsbad, right along the ocean, as you can see, the Pacific. And uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We uh, hear the Word of God, we hear the Gospel preach, we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning, and then we have Sunday school at about noon for kids. We come again uh, together at 5 o'clock every night, uh, Sunday night, for uh, teaching, prayer, and singing. And then we also have various uh, midweek groups, Bible studies, men's, women's, and also other Bible studies as well uh, throughout the week. So I want to invite you out to worship with us. If you know anybody in the area here in North County of San Diego, uh, invite them as well. Let them know. You can find out more about us on our website, OceansideURC.org, or also on all those various social media to find us as well. God bless. Hey, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts. We're doing something new. All ads will be fronted before the episode for unimpeded listening pleasure. A quick plug for our show, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. Would you consider giving to our show? We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are now tax deductible. We've got two options to give. One, email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com if you'd like to send a check or use our direct donor link. Or two, go to our show notes and click on our donor box link to give a recurring donation or a one-time gift. You can also click on our Patreon account in the show notes and sign up for monthly exclusives, merchandise, coupon codes with publishers we work with, giveaways for our subscribers, and much more. All donations were gifted are used exclusively to pursue our mission to bridge the gap to reform Christian theology. Would you join us? Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today, we're on a season seven episode where we're seeing Jesus Christ through all of scripture. Today's episode is Judges and Ruth. So we're still in the historical books, picking up where Joshua left off. And we're in the time of Israel uh, before their first king. And uh, we're seeing... uh, a period of uh, a dark period, right? But raise a hope, uh, proxies, shadows of Jesus. Uh, we're going to be talking about how Judges and Ruth point to Jesus. Obviously, um, this will be a very interesting uh, episode with these two books in one episode. Um, and then, uh, so we're going to see how Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, is points to uh, Boaz as the bridegroom as. Uh, Jesus Christ points to the judges as a redeemer um, and a deliverer. So, yeah, we'll break down things. Uh, I have the help of Peter and Reverend Dr. Danny Hyde, <laughs> and uh, that we'll be going through these two books. So before you guys, uh, we jump into this conversation, if you go to our show notes, you can see some resources and things that we got going on for this season. Um I got some resources here. Peter, Danny, please 
add your resources before maybe we kind of got into the questions as well. But um, I got a RHB book that's been pretty helpful here, The Glory and Fullness of Jesus Christ by William McEwen. I got Introducing the Old Testament, Robert Hubbard and Andrew Dearman by Erdman's. Goes through each book of the Old Testament, obviously. Pretty easy to digest stuff. Um, and then Family Worship Bible Guide, RHB, goes through every chapter of the Bible, kind of breaks it down. And then a little bit more of a girthy book here, the uh, Zondervan NIV Biblical Study, Biblical Theology Study Bible by D.A. Carson. So those are mine. And then uh, the Bible Project has been helpful with their short videos, just kind of getting a little bit more of a feel of how each of these books break down and most importantly point to Jesus Christ. So um, obviously I got the help of these two pastors to flush stuff, flush this stuff out. And uh, if you, and also in our show notes, connect with us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, you can email us, check out the link to find the closest reformed church near your area. And uh, yeah, let's jump in. Let's do this. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. So we're going to try to sandwich two books in the Bible into about an hour. So Peter, hey, Danny, how you doing? <laughs> good. Doing good. Yeah, let's do it. Wondering why I got a short shrift. I'm just Peter and yep. we got Reverend Dr. Danny Hyde. So it's I'm just here for Ruth for the very end. <laughs> that's, right, that's, right. that's right. And I think the moral of the story is don't cut your hair. And if you're strong like Solomon, then all things will work out for your good, right? You mean Samson? Samson, dang it. That's ah, yeah. you know what's funny is when I I preached through the book of Judges, and when I, when I preached, I split Samson into two sermons because he basically covers 13 through 16. Um, and there are a couple of times where I said it and didn't notice it. And <laughs> oh. after it, some of the congregation walked up to me and was like, Were you talking about Solomon or Samson? Oh, <laughs> I was yeah. like, Oh my gosh, Samson. So I always do that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so yeah, I want to talk first resources. Um, mm -hmm. I'll be honest for the book of judges. When I preached through it, I tried looking at um, Dr. Block's on the book of judges and Dale Ralph Davis on judges. And I was not impressed by either of them. I thought Dale Ralph was a little stronger. Um, Block was not as good as I thought it should have been. It's like rated so highly on all these commentary sites. Uh. And I looked through it and I was like, yeah, I just don't feel like he doesn't see. He, I, I think he tells the reader on the front end, he does not see Christ in the book of Judges. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to go with this. Dale <laughs> <And then, laughs> Ralph Davis has a little bit more, but it's a hair on the moralistic side. Um, but <clears throat> I did I did read two and the name, I, I forget who they were, but if people look up Jewish or rabbinic commentaries on the book of Judges. They were the best that I saw, especially on allusions and the biblical theology within the Old Testament. Uh, and then basically with their help, I, there's a lot of connection with Christ. Um, I know like I have mixed feelings about him. Peter Lightheart also had some good stuff, um, biblical theologically on the book of Judges. And then Joel Beakey, he has an article or two. Maybe he has a commentary. I don't know if he has a commentary on it, but he at least has a few articles in the book of Judges. But I thought we're pretty good. But overall, it's a little sparse. So I'm going to mention this bad boy. I'm just kidding. I've never even <laughs> actually cracked this open. This is the Banner of Truth, uh, the Judges Commentary by Richard Rogers. 
Okay. 16, 15. Look at this bad boy. That is it's like a thousand. It's like a thousand pages. That's like beefy. It's just a reprint of like an old English. Um, oh, yeah. So if anybody out there wants to go old school and uh, dive into this and see what they think, yeah, I'll let be me honest, know. I, I did not know that existed <laughs> until you pointed out right now. This thing is ginormous. That yeah, is this thing's mom. like, yeah, I can probably like put this behind my wheel on my car, on my truck and like hold it down like for an oil change. Like you definitely have hold, the time it, to hold read it down. That. That's right. So, so Danny, what yeah, about, Richard, what about, Richard Rogers. So what about Ruth? What do you got for Ruth? Because you've preached to um, right? Yeah, I pre- I've preached to Ruth uh, actually like I think twice oh. a long, long time ago. And then I did it more recently for an advent mm-hmm. series. But uh, yeah, I, I mentioned I've mentioned this book before to people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dean Ulrich or is it Ulrich? I'm not sure, but he's a PCA pastor. Mm. Uh, this little series by PNR is really good. Mm. Uh, the gospel in the Old Testament or the gospel according to the Old Testament. Mm. Oh, so this yeah, one's just yeah, on yeah. Ruth. I know that series. Yep. Yeah. This one's just on Ruth. It's really good. Um, so. But obviously, you know, the best commentary on Ruth is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one. So there you go. Add away. <laughs> I like this. I was about to say, yeah, on Book of Judges, yeah, probably the, I guess, if you can, Jesus, Jew, the two best <clears throat> chapters or the two best books are more or less like Acts. It's like Acts 13, I think, also has a little bit of Judges in it. And then Hebrews 11 tells us what Judges is all yep. about because it points out the four Judges that you do not expect. To be yep. in the hall of faith and right. in the hall of faith. Yep. And yeah. And like, is it really a hall of faith? You know, like, I mean, that's a whole other <laughs> ball of wax. We'll get, yeah, to that is, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into know. that with, with some of, uh, so the Christians some, hall of fame people. Yeah. Cause <laughs> it sure don't look like these guys have the, uh, the greatest faith in the world, but I mean, yeah, you would definitely like, you probably wouldn't want to marry off your kids to some of these judges, but no. some of them might be good Halloween characters. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Well, it just shows that. Pretty awful people can still be saved, and yep. you know, it kind of sounds like the uh, the theme of this series right now that God yeah. really horrible people and still saves them. Yeah, wasn't there like a wasn't there a Puritan Nick uh, that said uh, God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks? That's right. That phrase before. Yep. So yep. Actually, I think <laughs> I've read true. that. I've read that phrase like in medieval writers too. So it's not a Puritan thing. Oh but, no, no, that's a, yeah, that's a long time. But God, yeah, basically God, you know, basically God can straighten out anything, even even with the you know. Not so straight. That's right, because I don't. I don't think he has so stick, straight yeah. sticks. I think he's just got crooked sticks to work, work with. So it's yeah. not like a straight stick. Besides Jesus Christ, somehow God can turn. Yeah, God can turn a mess into you know His own purpose is a point. Yeah, so, yep. which yeah. sounds a lot pretty like cool. The judges. Yep. Well, that's how the the yep. book of Genesis ends with you know what men yep. meant for evil. Yep. God, you know. And unfortunately, it's so. not how the book of Judges ends. The book of Judges yep. ends horribly. Yeah. Yep. So it's not but the like story that. continues. Yeah. And yeah, that the story continues. And that's why reading Ruth right after Judges is really helpful and encouraging because it is yep. a, a help like a nice, yeah. a good story. And Even though uplifting. Ruth does some stuff, it's like, I don't really know that's what somebody should have done. But so yeah. it's it's both uh it's like kind of romantic, but it's also there's some stuff she does like, oh, that's that's a little a little racy. Yeah. Yep. I don't want to again, God, yeah, God uses her, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's so not because she does the right stuff yeah. necessarily. It's because so, it still uses her. Yeah. And it's but, crazy. Like, yeah, judges, you know, this is the people of God and it's a complete mess. And then <laughs> yeah. Ruth, who's a Gentile, is the mm-hmm. one that is the line of Christ. So, yep, yeah, exactly. you know, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about more, more about Ruth, Boaz, all these judges, uh, and, and what's going on. Um, so before we crack in a little bit more, uh, I thought it'd be easy or help, not easy. <laughs> Nothing's really easy. <laughs> 
<laughs> helpful to uh, break down maybe a, a suggested structure that I came across, if what you guys think. Sure. So for break, Ruth is pretty easy break now. It's a very short book, but talking about judges, you know, chapters one and two, Israel falls, fails to drive out the Canaanites. Uh, chapters three to through 16, corruption of Israel's judges. And then ch- uh, chapters 17 to 21, corruption of the people of Israel, or you could look at another suggestion I had is just breaking judges into two parts. One, the heroes in chapters one through 16, and then two, the non-heroes 17 to 21. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. The last one, I don't know if I super agree with, but the first, the first one I think is probably closer because one and two is like a prologue of judges. It kind of tells you like, it basically gives you what's going to happen before it happens. Yeah, um, and then you read the book of Judges, <clears throat> and then there's conjectures. There's six judges, or are there twelve judges? Um, yeah, but I like breaking it up per judge. That's mm-hmm. also helpful too. Um, yeah, it's like good versus bad judges. I, I guess on the front end they're a little better. Like the only good one I can think of, quote unquote, is Ehud, and then after him, like it's pretty bad from there. And um, even to say like the corruption of Israel's judges. Yeah. Oh, it's corruption of right? Israel. 100%. Like it's the whole nation and like oh, the yeah. judges are, the judges are raised up out of the nation. Yep. Uh, yeah. And like, they're definitely, you know, they're not super saints for sure. No, no. But yeah, I, it's definitely more of a, I mean, like to go back to like what we saw in Deuteronomy, like yeah. what's happening in judges is like directly correlates to like what Leviticus 26, 27, yep. Deuteronomy at 20, 29 like the blessings and cursings of the covenant and Hey, they're being disobedient. And this is what God does to disobedient people. You know, it's essentially the mirror image of Joshua where Joshua, the Israelites are trying to drive out the Canaanites and then judges, essentially the Canaanites are driving out the Israelites. Yes. It's it's a mirror image, but opposite. It's it's very different. And then, yeah, cursing language on judges, even though it doesn't, I think I might use cursing language once um in judges two and then from there on out you kind of see the what uh, what happens because of this curse so that's yeah i see in judges and the judges like i would say like just kind of like the place in redemptive history so god god threatens like when they're disobedient he's gonna he's gonna send the nations to wipe them out or to take them into exile yep um and so the like you start to see that in the judges like hey they're they're being encircled and the nations are coming in, yep. uh, wiping them out, fighting against them, driving them but to the hills, driving them to the valleys. Yep. Um, but God is the one who like raises these judges up to kind of push back. Yep. And push the you know push the boundaries back, so to speak. Yep. Uh, to where they where they were before, um, and it's not until finally like in the days of Ezekiel, yeah, um, not a lot longer after this. Yeah, where the Lord is like, not nah, no more, no more like temporary like reprieve. They're just gonna engulf you and like take yep. you all captive. <laughs> Yeah, you get yeah, like you know. Danny said, you kind of get a preview of the exile, especially in the prophets. You get a preview of that in the book of Judges. Like kind of what exile is going to look like for Israel, what cursing is going to look like for Israel, what no deliverer looks like for Israel. Yep. Um, you get that previewed in Judges pretty yep. heavily, which is why it's hard recommending a lot of evangelical commentators, because a lot of them that I read, actually the few of them that I read basically say straight up there's like no redemption in judges there's no christ in judges there's no there's no nothing in judges it's just all kind of horribleness which that's like the point of judges is israel cannot govern themselves they need they need a true king they need a true judge to deliver to govern Mm -hmm. them the problem of course we get to samuel is they want a king like the nations right (laughs) right yeah not the king that not the king of deuteronomy 17 yeah 
Yep. And you see what Samuel follows after and you're like, well, you just tried that with with somebody who comes from your nation ruling you or somebody. We haven't tried Saul. He's he's the, (laughs) you know, he's the exception to the rule. You know, yeah, it's like everyone else has tried, but we're better. We can do a lot better than everybody else, even though they're the same exact stuff as we're about to do. But he's real tall. You know, he's got to be he's (laughs) got to be a good king. He's good looking and he's tall. He's got to be a great leader. Yeah. Well, and I think over the overall theme that I was getting is when when God is forgotten, might equals right. And I think that's what the judges are as they're getting um as they're in the promised land, things are getting down things are getting worse and worse. And like yeah, you said, there's, there's a spiral for sure. There's a spiral and there's a feeling like they need that true deliverer. They need a king. Uh they by Judges 19 is just horrible. Yep. In Israel, because they repeat Sodom and Gomorrah, which we'll get to. They repeat it to a T. And it is now yep. Israel who is Sodom and Gomorrah instead of the nations who are Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Um, so teeing up my first kind of question to iron some of it out, which Actually, you guys already quick, before, answered. Before that, I know you talked about Ruth's structure to being kind of out. I was wondering, Danny, yep. do you have any help on Ruth's structure? Like sure. what, what it like follows a little bit? It's short, so I don't know. If you have any kind of advice for our listeners on the structure of it, um, not I, I don't know if you have something in mind. You have something in mind, but I have uh, nothing in mind. It's short, oh. so that's all I was saying. <laughs> that's all I was saying. Um, only to say, like, uh, you know, people think of Ruth coming after Judges, and a lot of times we read our Bibles that way, like, oh, this well, book's where the English that book. English Bible order places it is after yeah. Judges. So it's like it's Ruth one one says it's happening like in the time of Judges. So like mm-hmm. at some point, we're not sure what cycle it's in, but like there's a famine. And mm-hmm. famine is a Leviticus Deuteronomy curse, curse for covenant yeah. unfaithfulness. So at some point in that cycle, right, you have this this uh this this family going, you know, outside of promised land and but it's um, in the wisdom yeah. books of the Hebrew um canonical order, which is I think people yep. don't expect that. Yep. So yeah. next to what? It's next to Esther. Um yes. And it's or is it is it before Proverbs or after Proverbs? Sure. It's I can't remember the... off the top of my head because a lot of a lot of people make the case that Ruth is like the woman of valor from Proverbs 31. Yeah, Proverbs. Yeah, that's right. Proverbs happens and then Ruth. Sorry. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was yes. pretty sure Ruth followed up. Psalms, Proverbs. Job, Proverbs. Yeah, Psalms first, then Job. Mm-hmm. It's reversed. And then Proverbs and Ruth. Yeah. And then Song Ruth, of Songs. Because yep. Ruth is described as the woman of valor in Ruth 3, I think. Which is also the same term used of the woman in Proverbs thirty-one, and so thirty-one. Yep, that's that's where some structure comes into. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, Nick. I just wanted to see a little bit more no, structure. No, that's good. Actually, you guys doing that a- answered my first question. Just like what's happening, the context, the historical background of Judges and Ruth. How do you, how do you think about those events in redemptive history? That's unique in the place and time of Judges and Ruth. So you guys helped with that, and I think. You know, just based on my layperson uh, study, where you know, you know, trying to cram a lot of this in in just like a week period <laughs> sure. or less, um, and, and it's helpful to have you guys as pastors flush some of this stuff out because, uh, you know, what I'm seeing is that overall theme of judges, where there is a, a downward spiral, there is, uh, there's that you know, a, a, a apostasy, then they go into slavery and then they cry for help. And then a judge sent, and then there's rescue, then a land at rest. And then back to apostasy. Um, there's, you know, um, 
there's also that that uh, moral corruption that they're getting in too much influenced by the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. Yes, the uh, Israelites aren't perfect people. They also but, got sinful hearts too, not just outside yeah, the Canaanites. But this Canaanites were also they're worshiping. They're pagan. They're worshiping other gods. They're doing child sacrificing, that kind of stuff. And now the Israelites, the, the judges, and the Israelites are starting to worship their gods, doing their practices, worshiping their idols, and and it's just showing as God's becoming more, the God who s- saved the Israelites out of the land of Egypt is getting more and more forgotten. Mm-hmm. And now where they say that they, they're starting to uh, define what's right in their own eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe to help bridge into kind of the, like the part of history. And there's, there's a ton of conjecture on the, like the, timing of the judges and how long it takes or how short it takes and what time period this covers um all we know is this is before the book of samuel this is before the kings because they're looking for a king at the end of the book of judges um and they basically crown somebody as king at the end of judges um who's who's not king and right in the middle of judges actually too they mm-hmm. tried crowning somebody they tried they tried crowning gideon as king um and he doesn't take it even though he kind of acts like a king right but yeah they're after joshua and in judges, I think we also need to make a point too in the front end. Where we think of like our modern day judges, at least in America, we think of like our Supreme Court justices and those who have judicial yep. manners, which is not exactly what judges were, at least in the ancient Near East. They're, yeah, they were like, they were somewhat like law oriented, but they're also, they're like, they're leaders of sorts of, of Israel. They were <clears throat> akin to Moses, akin to like when he was telling his elders, Hey, you take over the judicial matters of the people when they come up to you with cases and stuff. It's more or less what they were, but overall they're like, they're mediators. They're people who are mediating between God and his people, which is what like, that's, that's their, uh, that's their role all throughout. Cause I think God speaks to three of them, but uh, uh, I think he only speaks to one of them. Um, and he never speaks to the people directly. So they're like mediators between them. Um, which, yeah, it's hard to describe where they're at because the the book doesn't really tell you what time period we're at. Um, but yeah, they're after. I think like, yeah, that mediator thing is important because, um, the, like the book of judges doesn't even mention all the actual judges because we know Eli and Samuel are judges. Yep. Um, and we're told like, so when Samuel, when the Lord speaks to Samuel, like that's so strange to Eli because the Lord had like, was not speaking to Eli. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. He speaks to Samuel. So there's like there's an there's an implicit idea that yeah the Lord is only speaking to this leader uh, yeah. figure, mm-hmm. um, this judge, and you know Eli's like you know he's kind of out of it it's like he hadn't heard the voice of the Lord for so long that he's just like oh, I'm back to sleep you know <laughs> yeah 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 you know and I then think Samuel's the like you know, the Lord's speaking to me you know so I think the only person like as far as the text goes that like Yahweh speaks to I think is Gideon. Um, and outside of that, I don't think he speaks to any of the judges. They're just right. Ra- like, oh, they're just called raised up to mediate yep. between the people and God. Um, yep. so it's interesting how like little Yahweh actually talks in yep. the book of judges. And it's also telling that he's not saying much and you can see the degradation of Israel because of this. However, yep. I think when I was looking through this stuff is it seems like with Samson, who's the last judge mentioned he yep. has the most connections to uh jesus it seems like it, he has a lot of connections things. yeah for with, sure with uh you know his mother getting a promise of him being born he's yep. nazarite 
which is um, closer in time period to Hannah and First Samuel two because it's the exact same thing that happens to Hannah. Yeah, and you get it with Mary and Matthew one and two as well. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so you guys were talking about the names of them and stuff. So there yep. are, like you said, Danny, there's there's more than maybe just listed because you said Eli and and whatnot. Yep. But but there, there's six main ones: uh, Othiel, eh, Ehud, Ehud, yep. Deborah, who uh, defeated the Canaanites in the north, and then Gideon. Opposes- Although Deborah is not described as a judge, she describes as a prophetess. Yep. Okay, so I've seen her uh, described as a judge as well, and then, uh, but uh, Gideon—that's everybody describes her as a judge. So they think they assume she's a judge. Mm. She's very specifically described as a prophetess in Judges four. Okay, she's not like I- raised up necessarily, but she's a prophetess. Okay. And then Gideon, uh, who's a, uh, opposing invading Midianites yep. in the north, and they got uh, Japheth, Jephthah, um, yeah, Jephthah, faces the Am- uh, Ammonites in yep. the east of the Jordan. Then Samson, yep. who's probably the most popular, people have heard the, <laughs> the story of Samson, Delilah, yep. uh, battles the Philistines southwest of Jerusalem, and even more, uh, the decline of the human heart. So it's just showing uh, as screwed up as these judge people were, they're still deliverance uh, temporarily to the people of Israel. Yeah. At moments, God would give them the spirit to do his work. Uh, the people were left feeling that they need a better deliverer, something more permanent than these flawed leaders. Uh, but they were, like you said, military type of leaders. Yeah, um, of sorts. Yeah, maybe what's helpful yeah. too is <laughs> with the judges, What's really interesting, if you read through the book of Judges and you see how long the land had rest, because that's also a blessing for following the covenant stipulations is rest for the land and rest for the land in the judges who are names, who actually like kind of have a narrative around them, are shorter than the rest that is given to the judges. Like there's smaller judges who like their reign is not described, but their rest is longer than the ones who actually are described in the book of judges um and it's it's yeah kind of like what you said it's the the rest for those who um we are given like a narrative form for um and the spiral for is shorter than the ones who were not given narrative for that's a little bit longer um and there's i think there's some literary play by the author of judges to say that under these you can like corrupt judges because I, I think all of them are corrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest mm-hmm. felt short <clears throat> or the rest felt longer than the rest that they had with those um, whom uh, the narrative does not kind of describe in, in total. But yeah, there's, and there's, I think depending on where you think chronology falls and stuff, and there's so much conjecture on this, um, but uh, the most a judge is given or most of the land is given rest after a judge is, I think, 80 years. Uh, and that's about two generations. And most of these judges are given about 40 years, so a generation. Mm-hmm. So they're just not given much rest. Like you said, the rest is temporal. They're they're mm-hmm. looking for long rest, which is the exact same thing we just saw in the book of Joshua. And where the author of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews 4, is this rest is not what they're looking for. They're looking for eternal rest. Yep. And even like, like when it, like to describe them, like, Kind of, I guess they're I guess they're military people, but mm-hmm. um, like the book of the, the title is Shofatim, so they're yep. this is related to Shafat, mm-hmm. right? So this is these are the judges, or you know those who judge Shafat, um, and judge judging could be like 
in uh, like Exodus uh, 18, like mm-hmm. Jethro's advice to Moses, like, you know, judges kind of like in a judicial, yep. you know, count, you know, counseling, if you will. But there's also like this idea of judgment. It's more of a theological thing. Like yep. God is judging the nations. Yep. And sure, he's using these judges who have, you know, some prowess. Um, but it's also a judgment on the people, you know. Because mm-hmm. um, not all their military prowess is against Canaan. It's some of it's yep. against Israel itself. Yeah. So, you know, there's a judge, like there's a judgment uh, kind of sifting, if you will, um, going on. Uh, and you know, and the idea, like in God's judgment, um, these judges, like they bring deliverance. Mm-hmm. So you know, judgment it can be a negative, it can also be a positive. So it just depends, like who's the judge, what's the context, what's going on. Yep. Um, so yeah. Anyways, yeah, to flatten them out too much is yeah, miss some of what's happening. I'll just say like yeah, it's like we got to keep like you know, there's more than just the military stuff going on. There's yep. like a theological, spiritual thing going on too. So yep. yeah, there's a, the element of that already, but not yet thing yep. where. Yeah. It's crying out where we need a true deliverer who is the yeah. who's the, the judges are the, the yeah. human judges. We yeah. need a true judge. We need a true prophet, priest, and king. And Israel is like that's that's what judge is really pointing to. So that is kind of the answering that then why the name of the book is Judges. So what about Ruth? How come the name the book of Ruth uh isn't, for example, we see Boaz as a yeah, really name. Christ, yeah, it's a Christ figure in the book of ruth why isn't the book uh, yeah i actually wrote that down it's like why isn't the book of ruth are we supposed to be looking for our boaz danny am i supposed to be looking am i supposed to go our congregation go find your boaz yeah what like uh yeah i've heard like sermon clips about this and it's just appalling what people say about (laughs) you know yeah the hero's not actually boaz in the book of ruth really it's it's the redeemer but the hero as Ruth, she's showing that Gentiles can be part of Christ's church, and it's how ordinary. Yeah, she's she's the seed. Yeah, yep. she's the it's the ordinary she's the mother. Yeah, she's the mother through the which the seed comes. Yep, God yeah. works through ordinary things, and it has uh, eternal consequences. I mean, Boaz and Ruth are King David's grandparents, right? So, um, yeah, go ahead, Danny. Like, what what what's more about the connection between? Uh, the title. I mean, why is it called Ruth? I don't know why it's called Ruth. I mean, honestly, I haven't looked into <laughs> or, that too much. Um, or that connection. other than you know, she's mentioned at the beginning of the story. Yeah, and she's mentioned throughout the whole story. So, um, yeah, I mean, is that the question? Is why is why is she why is the book called Ruth? Uh, yeah, I think so many people assume the story is question. Boaz because yeah, Boaz yeah. is the redeemer. But yeah, what maybe what yeah what if you can help our audience? Why why should we not focus to Ruth as opposed to Boaz? But why? Why should we? Yeah, I mean, Ruth. I guess you know just the context of the whole story. Uh, the very first verse, like in the days when the judges ruled, mm-hmm. uh, there was a famine, and so the whole context is covenant disobedience and judgment. Again, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, and it's in that context of 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 famine, and then even the family themselves. Uh, selves, um, there's a there's man from Bethlehem, which yep. like. Yep. <laughs> you know, we like we know the story. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. like this points us forward, right? Um, but it also more directly points to to David too, who's from to David. That's right. Yeah. So points, you know, points to a king. So there's 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 there are judges. There's, there's no, no king, pre-kings right now. But this guy's in the land. This, this guy's from the, from this land of of King David. Um, uh, and they go sojourn outside the promised land in Moab. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you've just left the promised land. Leave. For Gentile land, and your two sons marry Gentiles. 
Yep. <laughs> like, so they intermarry as God forbade them. So it's like the whole thing is to do in the book of Deuteronomy. The whole thing is a complete mess. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's like out of this mess, this one daughter, because the the two sons die. Right. I mean, the husband dies, two sons die. uh, And then uh, you got no one. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Naomi says to the daughters in law, the daughters in law, like, okay, go back to your countries, go back to your gods. Yep. And um Ruth Ruth's the only one that uh that that stays, right? So um uh Orpah, the other sister-in-law, daughter-in-law, she she goes mm-hmm. and Ruth clings, like that language of clinging. Loyalty. Um, and it's the same language of clinging that the that's used in Deuteronomy where yeah. Moses tells the Israelites to cling to God. She's, this Gentile is doing what Israelites are supposed yeah. to be doing according to the law. Yeah. So it's like it's a it's like a reversal of what you're reading in yeah. judges yep. but that out of out of the mess of judges god is going to shame israel by using a gentile yep <laughs> who's going to cling to the lord unlike them yep uh and they're going to go back and she says you know i'll go you know your god is my god your people are my people yep and they go back to the land and you know she's the one who you know she go she you know oh there's this redeemer of our family and she pursues mm-hmm. him um, yeah, sometimes in ways that we probably wouldn't want to, you know, teach our daughters to pursue a man. Um, <laughs> pursuit of Boaz, if people read into it, it's like, oh, she just kind of <laughs> slips under his covers at night and yeah. says, hey, ancient context. The little uh, Beverly Hills, 90, uh, what is it, yeah. 90210, whatever. She goes like, to whatever, whatever that like grain heap, which is generally speaking where prostitutes go to. And so, yeah. like, the text kind of sets it up like a little strangely. And, she, and she's like, she uncovers, like, she's laying at his feet. Yep. You know, she covers the hem of his garden, the, the, the hem yeah. of his like blanket, like, whatever it's like. I think we know what's going on here. We, we know, we know what's happening here. Um, so well, yeah. Oh so, well, yeah. And then she's Nick. the one, and then the Lord makes this great promise. And then I they, feel like we're know, making they, Nick uncomfortable. No, yeah. no, no. I was trying to think of as, as, as her eagerness to Boaz as the bridegroom, it should represent maybe us as the church eagerness to be, Close and intimate with Christ. There, there's that Puritan brother. and Nick. There's a Puritan there. man. Yeah, there's that Puritan gotta, stuff. I got to bring it know? back. You got to get the. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I get back I think to PG thirteen here, especially with what uh, Danny's saying. I think there's a little closer resemblance with Rahab. Um, kind of set up a little bit as a uh, Rahab is a prostitute, and um, uh, Ruth is kind. She's not called a prostitute, but she does prostitute like things. Um, she's a Gentile. She's an outsider. She's a Yahweh fearer. Yep. And she takes this uh, Jewish redeemer as her husband. Yep. Um, and so there's have... kind of a replay of Rahab here. Yep. Yeah. And there's and yeah, they have a son, and then uh, mm-hmm. they're the great they're the great grandparents of David. If I yeah, great grandparents. Yep. I thought the, it was grandparents, uh, but either way, yeah. Yeah, great grandparents, right? Because it's it's uh, they have a son, Obed, I think. Yeah, Obed. Oh, okay. And then yeah. fa- and then he fathers Jesse, then he fathers yep. David. So, um, yeah. And then in the gospel of Matthew chapter one, there's only three women named in the line of Jesus mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. given to us in Matthew one. Of course, there's Rahab, Ruth, and then there's the white, like the unnamed wife of Uriah, the Hittite, yeah. Yeah. So, who's a Gentile, which is Gentile. crazy. Yeah, it's Gentile, right? Gentile, Gentile. We assume. Yeah. yeah, we assume that the wife of Uriah is a Gentile, you know, yeah. um, but they're like, why? Why in this genealogy mm-hmm. in Matthew one that goes from. Uh, uh, from from Abraham to David to the Messiah, why mention these three women? Like everyone else is a male, like yep. the seed, like the seed promise comes to the through the male, like literal the seed, right? Yep. But these three women are mentioned, and presumably all Gentiles. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, yeah. Ray had like the harlot. The greatest backgrounds in the world. Yeah. One, Ray had the, the harlot. Pops. Ruth, who does you know does some kind of scandalous things. <laughs> Even though she <laughs> clings to the Lord. Uh, <laughs> exactly. The, yep. Exactly. The wife of Uriah, you know, who's murdered so that so that David could you know uh, uh, satisfy himself with his wife uh, with his wife, right? So, yep. um, yeah, it's just Bathsheba, right? Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, the whole thing is like, wow, the Lord God chooses. Mm -hmm. He keeps the his line going no matter yeah. what we do. Yeah. And yeah. he chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Yep. And exactly. I think like that's what's going on in Ruth. Like the Lord is shaming Israel. Israel as like in this. And so, you know, as that scroll and book is written, like and yep. memorialized over history, it's read. It's meant to like humble them, remind them like, hey, when you were so disobedient, God mm -hmm. chose a Gentile. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, you curse this stinking land. Yeah. And the one who starts blessing this land is a Gentile. You know, and then some of the parables of Jesus and then even Paul, where he like shakes off the dust and is like, you know, you've, you've rejected the Lord. We're going to the Gentiles. Yep. Yeah. Right. Like the Lord and Romans 11, like God, the Lord now saves Gentiles to bring to jealousy, the Jews. And, you know, there's different interpretations, but I think like the best reading of the text is that, uh, you know, before the coming of the Lord, there's going to be uh, a, uh, a massive amount of Jews returning, coming to the Lord mm -hmm. and accepting the Lord as Messiah uh, before the Lord returns. So, because they've been provoked to jealousy by the Gentiles. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is exactly what happens or should happen from the book of Ruth. Mm -hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. The um... So there you go. Oh, well, yeah. Boaz was the family <laughs> redeemer. So his, his yeah. love. Well, he's supposed or, to do, and that's exactly what the law tells him to that's do. That's his duty. Yeah. yeah. That's like yeah. a redeemer. He's supposed to do this according to the law. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it's not he's like, yes, it's in, like the goodness in his heart, but he's following the law. Yeah. He's and isn't he supposed to? So see, uh, isn't he? So he's, he's like, he, he's the redeemer for, um, Naomi's family. Uh, yeah. oh my goodness. I'm totally blanking on it. Uh, uh, Elimelech, right? Elimelech's family. Mm -hmm. So Boaz is the redeemer of Elimelech, and meaning that he should take Naomi. Yeah, that's true. Yep. But because he, takes, he even tells he even tells Ruth, yeah. "Is like, hey, why are you taking me? Take one of these younger guys." Yep. Yep. And then, like at the end of the story, <laughs> even though Boaz takes Ruth and they have a child, yep, he says he calls the child Naomi's child. I think. Um, yeah. At the very end of the story, Naomi took the child. Laid him on her lap, became his nurse, and the woman in the neighborhood gave him the gave him a name, saying, "A son has been born to been born to Naomi." Yeah, that's what they called him, Obed. So, yep. uh, so he so he redeems Elimelech. Yep. By by taking Boaz or uh, by taking uh, Ruth. Yeah. Who then gives the child to Naomi, so that the whole like the whole thing is fulfilled, right? Yep. So, um, yeah. So yeah. even though she's a she's a Gentile. Mm -hmm. This is a this is the mm -hmm. line of the savior. This is the line of David. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, yeah. He's a covenant follower. He's a covenant. Yep. The covenant keeper. Yeah. Which to me, like that again, go back to Matthew. Like the three Gentile women in the genealogy. We Jesus is a a, a Jewish male. Yeah. But it's not a pure line. No. Like the line has already in it. Like so, to me, I've always seen that as like a little. The Lord's little giving a little preview of the fact that He's the Savior of the world. Yeah, right. that exactly. yep. already in His line there is there is Gentile, Gentile lineage, yep. right? Totally. Some Gentile lineage uh, in the line. So He's not a purely uh, a, a pure, you know, Jewish purely name. like sort of the, the the Jewish bloodline. You know, yep. totally. Yeah, yep. yeah. Part part of the church 
is outsiders and Gentiles and yep. Ruth was a Moabite. She's an outsider. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Boaz's love points to Christ and yep. is being the family redeemer and bridegroom brings her in. She's the wild olive shoot, as Paul says, like who's yeah. grafted on, right? Exactly. Yep. I also saw that um, something, a nice lesson from Ruth is being faithful in ordinary means of and life. So wherever God has placed you in <laughs> so your this life. Is, this is the Puritan Nick coming out again. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean. Rick Nick now, he's got, he's got well, Puritan blood. Go, well, the, the, oh, beginning of Ruth, the beginning of Ruth sets up as like a pretty, like, depressing situation for their whole family <laughs> there's a bunch of all all of naomi's sons have died yep he's left with two just two daughters-in-law they're yep. the and there's one leaves, and one leaves. Of, like yeah. there's barrenness of sarah's womb there's barrenness yes. of the land and yep. so like where does ruth go like it it looks like nothing could be born of this the lion is gone the, yeah. the seed is dead and now God continues the line through a seemingly barren land, a barren woman who has no man to impregnate her. And then there you go. It's okay. You, you've got this, you got this barrenness, which again is just so stinking prevalent in the Bible as a covenant curse, both in the land and tends to be like on females bodies who can't bear. And then yep. you don't have that for Ruth directly, but you have barrenness of the land and no man. So it's like, man, this, this seed is about to die. Yep. So I think we answered the practical question of how we can be encouraged yep. by yep. the seeing the gospel in uh, <laughs> Judges, but maybe a little easier to see in Ruth, even well, though I, it, we, I, there's so much more to dig into Judges too. Yeah, so, so dig more. in like I, that's why I wanted to bring it up is uh, before we move on to the next. Yeah, Peter's preach on it, man. Just give us a quick so, little like <laughs> yeah, where, sermon, you know? Where do we see the gospel message uh, through through yeah. Judges? And I was looking through Nick's notes, and I think Nick Nick has some of these. Um, at first, yeah, you get it's just downright covenant cursing language in Judges one to two. So you're like, ah, oh, no, this is about yep. to be really, really, really bad, and it it is really bad. But <laughs> you get Ehud. Actually, you get Caleb, Othniel first, and then you get Ehud at the end of Judges three. And what does he use? He he strikes the uh, the fat king, which I always think is funny, just how. How, how he's described is the very descriptive. Thing. Yeah. Um, but if you look at his name is Eglon yep. and preachers who know their Hebrew language, what's, what's an Eglon? It's, it's a cow. Uh, and where else do we see yeah. Eglon? We see Eglon and we see Eglon in Exodus 34 with the, the golden calf. Like that's yep. he's, like this King is being set up. This superpower King is being set up as, as like a big fat golden calf. As, and the knife goes in the fat folds, like yep. roll over his hands. Yeah. Yeah, so descriptive. You get Ehud, you get him striking this king, which, like, how do you not see, although Ehud is not the line, but you, how do you not see the this um, the seed of the woman striking the serpent? And at the end of it, you get the uh, the horn blowing. Uh, you get Deborah in Judges 4, who everyone who's, I, I don't know, like, very conservative complementarian calls Deborah a judgment on Israel. I don't see that. I don't think judge yep. Deborah is a judgment because you got judges five, which valorizes Deborah. I was like, yeah, I don't, she's not, a, she's not a judgment on, on Israel. She's a prophetess who then tells Barak to go yep. and take over the land. And Barak is just scared. And so Deborah is like, I'll go with you. Or no, Barak asked her to go with, go with him, which sure, I guess could be a sign of cowardliness, but it's also like, she's a prophet. Like that, Comes from Yahweh. Yep. Uh, so then, are you? I, I see. I see Danny's lips about to move. 
No, I was going to say, you know, you, you keep calling Barak, and I was like, I thought his name was Barack. I don't know. I, I kept on saying Barack because I didn't want anybody. All the conservatives out there are like mad. At, if I say Barack, they're going to think, oh, you know, this that's, guy's a lefty. He likes Barack that's, Obama. That's, that's it's, why it's spelled the same way. That's why I tried not saying Barack because I knew everyone Barack, could think yeah. of Barack Obama. Anyways, yeah, I was yeah. left. I want to. I want to distinguish. Well, good, good old-fashioned Dutch Reform people when they read their Bibles at dinner every night, uh, when they get to these hard parts of the Bible with lists of names. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a house once with a with an elder, elderly couple, godly, very godly, pious couple, and the husband pulls a Bible out. They had a little, he had a little shelf under his dinner table. The Bible yep. comes out, and then the Psalter comes out. <laughs> the Bible, yep. and he gets to like, I can't remember what the text was, but he's like reading. And so you know, and and. Uh, you know, and and Samson, you know, begat difficult name, and difficult name begat John, and John begat difficult name. Like, so they would just yeah. say difficult name, Barack, yep. Barack, Barack, yeah. difficult name. Yep. Um, <laughs> but even with Deborah, so in Judges four, you get JL, who's just kind of a random woman out in the wilderness, who then um, really craftily brings one of the kings. Uh, the name is escaping me of the king. Sisera. 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 Yeah. Sisera. Yep. Brings Cicero into a tent, offers him warm milk, basically gets him to sleep, takes a tent peg and strikes his head. <laughs> warm yeah. milk to get him to sleep. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious, like just how crafty she is. But yeah. and she like she basically wins the battle for Israel when all Israel, all the like all the men are outside fighting for who knows what reason. And then and when she strikes in. the pe- the tent peg through his head, I mean, would that you would say like that again? That's another like I I do think she's so shadowy yep. like yep. Crushing she crushes the, the head of the serpent. Yeah, yeah. Judges five twenty five, yep. um, which is Deborah's song, actually says that directly that JL strikes the like the the head of the serpent. It's some yep. something like that. But Judges five twenty five references the the strike the the tent peg striking. So you get this, and then you get Gideon from Judges. Oh, yeah, she crushed his head. Verse twenty six. You're yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Judges yeah, Judge five twenty six. <clears throat> so it interprets it for you. And then you got Judges six through eight, which is Gideon. Um, you have him kind of like an Abraham, Abrahamic like meeting with a messenger of Yahweh in yep. Judges six. So you can see some connection with like Abrahamic covenant, promise keeping covenant. That's Yahweh keeping his covenant with his people, even though his people are not keeping the covenant with him. Um, and then. I forget he does something with his dad and his dad is basically an idol worshiper and he leaves his dad's house and um, his army is, I think 32,000 and it's cold down to 300. Yep. Uh, and I think the number is somewhat similar to Abraham's number, which I saw a few, yep. a, a few Jewish commentaries were talking about how similar a lot of Gideon's story is to Abraham. Um, and then <clears throat> he leads a victory over the, I, I, don't, I don't remember the people that he fights against. Um, the Midianites. Midianites. <laughs> so yep. he leads a, a battle over the Midianites. But then right after he wins the battle with the Midianites, then he turns on his promise to deliver Israel. And he like becomes a pagan king. They they craft this like big idol ephod in the middle. The ephod thing, yeah. Yeah, middle of it. And you're like, what's Ehud or what's Gideon doing? And then the people of Israel ask Gideon, would you be our king? which is exactly what the Israelites do in first Samuel when they ask him to be their king as well. King like the nations, and you got Abimelech in judges nine and Abimelech is supposed to be the deliverer, but then he's like one of those military leaders who starts killing his own people. And <laughs> he's at this high tower and this woman, again, another woman in the book of judges, um, which like keeps this, this line of the, the seat of the woman theme going. Mm-hmm. And she takes a rock 
and then throws it down on Abimelech's head. Crushes I think the Nick, head Nick catches this in his notes. But mm. like, this is another serpent striking language that where the woman with a rock strikes Abimelech's head. Is this a time for the evangelicals to be like, I'm claiming Nikki Haley as president. I'm <laughs> yes. claiming it. <laughs> exactly. You know, all those women. Wasn't he like, wasn't he embarrassed? It's basically all the woman? women and judges are like, actually the like the legitimate deliverers which yeah, yeah, again exactly. throws israel on its head it's they think it's supposed to be these valiant military judge deliverers and then it ends up being the women whom yeah. we hear about in genesis three fifteen. like nick's pointed out that the seed of the woman is the one who's going to strike the serpent's head and they kind of just like take care of business like pretty quick like they don't they do they don't like, without any like yeah. battle without like kind of fighting they're just like yeah we're gonna kill them but <laughs> Also, what's kind of weird and interesting is wasn't Abimelech? He was embarrassed that a woman did that, so he ordered somebody to kill a, a, Which a is man. Exactly to kill what him. the king of Israel does as well. It's it's like it just replays over and over. Like, yeah, he's embarrassed because he just got beat by a woman. Which that's that's what a lot God, of us go God shows <laughs> his strength through weakness. Yep. So he uses yep. women to to. It's also interesting, like when she picks up if this if this rock is big enough to kill Abimelech, I always wonder like how does anybody pick up this rock and then throw it on a bimlek it's it's almost like divine how she's able to pick this up and throw it down on a bimlek and it's big enough to crush him it could be the cornerstone oh there you go i knew i knew there's there's origin origin in the house i gotta i gotta throw these out there i mean this is what the season's dedicated on it's mythology man there you go i mean jephthah who's end of i think end of judges 10 into judges 11 um and then there's all sort of conjecture with Jephthah and his daughter. There's two yeah. lines of interpretation. Either Jephthah makes a rash vow because he promises, this is Judges 11, 29-ish. Yep. He promises that if he wins the victory, he will, I think, sacrifice the next thing comes comes out of his house. Yep. And you're thinking, like, think about this logically. He's got one person in the house. What does he expect coming out of that house? Is he like, oh, <laughs> like Cal's going to come out of this house. Just some sacrificial animal. Like, of course he knows his, his daughter's going to come out of this house. Um, and then the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and judges 1130, 1131, something like that. And then that's when he wins the victory, comes back to his house. His, his daughter comes out. Um, mm-hmm. I fall into the interpretation that he's not sacrificed his, his daughter. Um, I think there's... Oh, this again stretch. I think it's Leviticus eight that talks about a sacrificial offering, but not a not killing an offering, but like it's like priestly offering. I forget what it was. People can I'll, I'll link up an article from Joel Beakey that talked about this better than I can. Um, but I think I think his his interpretation fits here, especially around the the spirit of Yahweh being upon Jephthah. And I have a, yeah. I have a hard time thinking it's a rash valve. The spirit of Yahweh is upon Jephthah in this. Um, Question about that real quick. So, uh, so we're, we're the two debates are like, okay, so she either has to be a virgin of the rest of her life, and that's the end of his yeah. family line, and he's yeah. sorrowful. That's, that's that the his, interpretation I fall under. Yeah, and and so she goes up on the mountain with her friends and 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 is in mourning that she is never going to be with a man. Mourning. Although the word used for mourning and at the end of Judges eleven is the same word used for Deborah's song. When they're rejoicing in Judges five over jail striking Sisera, and so I, I like I, I think it's, um, it's it's allowing your preconceived interpretation to interpret the text for you versus seeing some of these connections of the text itself, yeah. allowing that to color your interpretation. So the other thought is that he because he made a vow that the uh, he would sacrifice the first 
Yeah. Uh, thing he thought he he thought he would see an animal come out and greet him, and it was, was his like, daughter. But how would he see an animal? <laughs> animals and so, don't live inside so tents. but but this is the and then so he could have because it was a a, a faulty vow. He could have con went back on his vow, and it would have been okay. But he went forward in trying to think he was doing the right thing. And but he here's up- here's where I have a hard time with that interpretation is. I think two verses before his quote unquote rash vow, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And I have a, I have a hard time mm-hmm. believing with the spirit of Yahweh that he can, like he makes a rash vow where that's, that's, that's the spirit of Yahweh ensuring victory and his, his, um his basically like thank offering for his, his victory. It's almost like you're seeing with Abraham and Isaac, <clears throat> uh, this right before Abraham was going to sacrifice someone, Isaac. Yeah. So, someone, okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, that that's more of an open-handed issue for the audience. Like sure. some people, uh, very godly people, uh, will think. That, oh yeah, I'm, uh, like you can disagree with that interpretation. I think as well. Yeah, sacrificed his daughter, and then yeah, but um, I have and some. We, we can get into Samson later, but Samson's got all sorts of connections. Like oh, said, uh, Samson's yeah. huge. Yeah, j- so we're uh, being good on time. I <laughs> wanted to. Samson is not a good judge, um, although it looks like in Judges 16 he has faith. Well, what? What's interesting about the Samson story is it starts off with so much promise and you're like, wow, this sounds just like the Advent story for Christ. Yeah, <laughs> you know, talking about the 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 it's uh, closer the, in canonical history to Hannah in First Samuel yeah. two. It's it's exact same story as Hannah in First Samuel two. That's where I think most people would have gone first. Is this is like the birth of a king? Yeah, right? it's Samson first. He's a Nazarite. There's a, a promise given to. Yep. His mother that there's what's a, a interesting child to though, be born. Do you know who's supposed to take the Nazarite vow? Because yeah. it has to be taken by the individual himself. The uh, card number six, an individual has to take the vow on himself, but Samson's mom is the one who takes it for Samson. Oh, it's okay. So this is not an example of baby dedication. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not an indication. And there's a lot, there's a lot of conjecture on whether or not Samson knows he's a Nazarite, mm. um, whether or not his mom, cause it, it doesn't tell you in the text whether he knows or not, but his mom is the one who's given the Nazarite vow. Samson's never told about it. But when he tells Delilah why his hair is long, doesn't he explain because he's a Nazarite? I, does he explain? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I don't, I don't think know. he does explain that he's a Nazarite. I think oh, he okay. just says. That's, that's where the last, power that's comes the last from. temptation on Samson is cutting his hair. Yeah. So Samson falls into Samson falls into a lot of I think he says my, like my strength will fall. I don't think he talks about his Nazarite vow. Yeah, in yeah, uh six chapter 16, 17. He told her he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head. Yep. For I have been a Nazarite to God from okay. my mother's womb. Um now, so obviously he knows, but which is different because Nazarite yeah. vows are taken by adults in number six. Yeah, so it is. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it's, it's like, a he, different he way of becoming Nazarite. He definitely is aware of it, but yeah, yeah, it was done to him by yeah. his mom from Which, from, again, his, from yeah. the womb. Yeah, Nazarite vows are individual vows that I think you can relinquish. And with Samson, it's given to him from the womb, which is just different. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, Nazarite vows like for a time. Yep, it's a temporary vow. Um, not quite yeah, Levitical case, or anything, but you're, yeah, yeah. you're dedicated to Yahweh. Yep. Well, and with Samson, his, his lust and pride was pretty much his downfall. And <clears throat> so he, his, his lust made him, um, 
well, what do you get in Judges 6? This is like, this is Adam and Eve repeated to a, again, right. basically to a T. Delilah, who's tempting Samson. Yeah. And then it's Samson, who a- basically lies on the fr- like the first three temptations <laughs> and then tells her, yeah. oh, this is exactly what it is. That's, again, that's, that's, that's Adam and Eve, where Eve tempts Adam with, of course, Adam failed to guard the temple, the, the, the garden when the serpent came in the first place, but then he acquiesces and says, okay, yeah, yep. we'll do it. And so does Samson. Yeah. And Samson gets a little too involved with the Philistines. Right. And so what's also interesting is that, yeah, he intermarries with them and whatnot. Um, yeah, he le- yeah. This is judges 14 that he intermarries with them. He, he does again, an Adamic connection where <laughs> the, the Philistine, I think it said the Philistine woman find favor in his eyes. Like they're they're beautiful in his eyes, which is how Adam and Eve describe the fruits in Genesis three. Like this fruit is beautiful to their eyes when the serpent tempts them with it, and Samson has the same same kind of thought with these Philistine women. Wait, so for the audience, they might I'm channeling them right now because they've heard about the Canaanites, they've heard about some of these other Gentile uh, groups and things like that. But wait, who wait who are the Philistines? They just pop up like they're sea what's people. That about? They're on the coast. Yep. Yeah, they're right next to Israel. They're they they got the sea covered, and Israel's a land people. And there's a long like uh, ancient like the sea peoples, and no one really kind of knows who they are, where they came from. Yeah. But it seems yeah. like they're related to the Philistines. Yeah, they okay. kind of right. come out of nowhere in the Book yep. of Judges. But they're, they're like Vikings. Or all they are there. is just like they're outside of Israel. That's yeah, they're they're not, they, they're not Israel. They basically like they yeah, they basically trade and they pop in and out of like all these places across the Mediterranean. And okay. at some point they take up residence in, you know, what is today like what Gaza, mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. southern part of uh the, the promised land. Okay. Yeah, so you kind get of border, I, kind of borderland between Egypt and the promised land, yeah. I think with Samson, what's what becomes very clear on the front end, Genesis 13 or uh, Judges 13 and 14 is he's essentially replaying the temptation of yeah. Adam and Eve, where the serpent comes into the garden and tempts him with the fruit and Samson's tempted with the woman of of uh, of the Philistines, and then he takes her. Uh, actually, no, he asks his parents if you can if they can take the woman for him, and then he intermarries with them, and then, um, like I think she's killed, and her parents are killed in Judges fifteen in a fire, and then he revenges their death at the end of Judges fifteen, and then marries Delilah, who's also not an Israelite, right at the beginning of Judges sixteen. But isn't yeah. that crazy though? So all that description. And yet we read this in the New Testament for what more should I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, yeah, uh, who, through faith, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, attained promises, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So yep. there's 11. Isn't that yeah, crazy? You get, you get, yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's like, what, how would you describe faith? Doesn't, this is going to sound really weird. We've already talked about it. Faith doesn't make you like a good person. Doesn't like, doesn't make you do all the right stuff. It just you have faith and deliver to come. And at the end of Judges sixteen, it's like Judges sixteen twenty five or twenty six, whatever it is. Right before he pulls the pillars of the mm-hmm. temple and kills all the Philistines within it and their false yep. gods, he says something like "Help me, Lord," or "Give like give me yeah. the sight again," something like that. Give me the strength again, yeah. or something. Yeah, and it's like that's that's faith. That's as small, tiny as it is, like he he trusts in Yahweh. He trusts in the the ultimate serpent crusher, even though nothing before this would even suggest 
that he is kind of a good, upright, moral judge. Yeah. And he could have had that faith the whole time instead of relying on it's, just his. These own. people were simultaneously justified and sinful, right? Hey, there you go. You got, you they got trust the promise. Life. Yeah. They exactly. trust the promise by faith, but yet there are flawed people. <laughs> yeah. But, and that's, 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 I think that's crucial. It's, we're not just yep. like, we're not just good people who through faith do all the right things. It's, we are sinners who have faith in the sinless redeemer. Yep. And also I found it interesting that Samson was, uh, was he betrayed by the Israelites? Like he was handed over to the Philistines. He was handed over by Delilah. Not Delilah, by but don't yep. the, the Israelites turn on him too, or he's nope. okay. So nope. he's handed over by D- Delilah. Well, he lets himself goes, be handed over by Delilah, which shows betrayal in one way or another, whether exactly he's supposed to be with this with her or not. But <laughs> and then, but then it shows at the very end, like he said, he was, uh, his eyes were gouged out. His hair yep. was cut. His hair grew back a little bit more, but he, he, he lost all of his strength. And then the entire Philistines were in that, that house. Um, and they, all those false gods and he, and God used his last morsel of faith that he asked for to, to bring down the house and I got, crush I got all a better gods. one for you. It's, yeah. Through Samson's death, he brings the death of those who are around him so that Israel might be delivered. There we go. That's a way much more concise. Yep. Because <laughs> that's what you get in Judges 16, 30, and 31 is Israel's delivered, temporarily delivered. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But it's less so through, I mean, yes, I guess Samson's faith, but it's less so through Samson's faith and more so through Samson's death. Yep. Sacrifice. Yep. Yeah. Through his sacrifice where he destroys the false gods of the philistines kills yep. three thousand philistines i think in the temple not just the temple that's the worship temple that's that's yep. where they're all dancing worshiping their gods and then through samson's death he destroys the false gods he destroys the people he kills himself and then israel walks free at the end mm. yep and if i could end on one more I think this is a good one to last statement to end on is every judge deliver that God raised up anticipates and points ultimately to Jesus, our only redeemer and our ultimate bridegroom Boaz. I guess you could say parts of that. Yeah. Um, And even judges doesn't end at judges 16 with Samson because you get the worst of, you get the worst of Israel 17 to 21, 17 to 21. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, because what do they Civil try war. doing in Judges seventeen? They try building their own temple system. Yep, they ordain their own priest. Their own priest. Yep. Yep. They yep. they have their own false gods in this temple, and this is Israel we're talking about. Civil not the war happens, and yep. guess where the nation? Their nations are nowhere to be found. They're not being influenced by the nations. They're just doing their own thing at this point. The tribe yeah. of Benjamin's almost wiped out. <clears throat> yeah, the tribe of well, the tribe of Benjamin's wiped out <laughs> because the I think the father. Yeah, the father basically casts out his daughter in, this is Judges 19, end of Judges 19, casts out his daughter. She's torn limb from limb, and then he sends her out to the 12 tribes of Israel, and all of Israelites are pissed of what just happened, and then basically take down Benjamin. Um, and then Judges ends with that mm-hmm. line, like there was no king, mm-hmm. and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yep. And in the Hebrew Bible, so that's a cliffhanger, because in the Hebrew Bible, the next book is First Samuel. Yep. Yeah, that's where the kings right? come in. Yep. So we put Ruth there because it's contemporaneous with Judges, but yeah, in the cliffhanger leads us to First yeah. Samuel and Saul, and then yep. obviously, of course, David. So yeah, so you get deliverance in Judges sixteen, you get temporary deliverance, and then you just get downright filth. Yeah, yeah. Judges seventeen to twenty. I mean, it's like 
I think that's why commentators, evangelical commentators, a lot of pastors are so weary of judges because it just ends so horribly. And they're like, yeah. how do we, how do we make sense of this? Yeah. Well, and it's like, Danny said, that's, it is covenant curses, but you can't preach the- like, you know, you can't preach peppy messages, you no. know, from judges 17 to 21. I mean, who's going to come to church for yeah. that? You know, like what's the, <laughs> what's the, what's the moral example on how to be a good mom this week from judges 17. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, we get, we get these mailers all the time from these churches around us and it's just all like peppy and happy and, you know, just, you know, how to be awesome all the time, you know, how to be the best soccer mom ever. Like we had a church that had like a series on how to be the best soccer mom, you know, whatever. Yep. And it's like, yeah, you're probably not preaching judges in that church. <laughs> but even so, and I'll, I'll give this too. And this is part of the sermon that I preach. I've, I've probably preached this one three or four times, but at the end of judges, are your sermons online, by the way, for all the, I mean, I know from, uh, from here, you some of those, some are, of them from yeah. here. So I'll, I'll post, I'll post. Yeah. You got to post sermons. those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even with the end of Judges 19, when I, again, I can't remember the guy's name who does this, but he 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 pushes out his daughter. And I, I previewed this beginning. This this last thing I'll say about Judges, but we talked a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah. And I know Danny's preached on Sodom and Gomorrah in the context of Genesis. And Sodom and Gomorrah are the nations who are then trying to like have sex with the Israelites. Like, um, but in Judges 19, it's just Israelites. It's the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, who are warring against Israel and replaying um, Sodom and Gomorrah. But this time, because in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, oh, is it the is it Lot who's that they're trying to take, or the angel? I think the angels they're trying to take. Well, yeah, the two angels with That's Lot, right. right? So they're trying to take them, but then they bring them back, so they're not actually like strewn out into the open. But in Judges nineteen, they actually are strewn out into the open, where. The father actually does push his daughter out and then she's consumed by the Israelites and killed because he comes out the next morning with quite possibly one of the hardest passages to read in the entire Old Testament. And the father just basically walks over his daughter's dead body. Doesn't he cut her up in 12 12 pieces? He he tells her to get up, like, let's go when she's dead. And then she, he cuts her up into 12 pieces and sends it's, them throughout the whole land. It says like yeah, every one tribes. piece yep. part of the land. Yeah. But instead of, tribe. instead of, de- instead of basically delivering her and then casting himself out, he casts out his daughter to save himself, which I think in the sermon point I made, like that's, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus does for us, where he casts himself out to be consumed by us so that we would be delivered. So it's Jesus is the, is the faithful father who does not cast out, his daughter, he actually, he saves her by casting himself out. That's really helpful because I think a lot of critics and non-Christians that, you know, hate on the Bible and they, they will, they'll point out passages like that saying that we endorse yep. no, those no, type I, of things and saying, no, no, it's just you, real about this stuff. It's just saying yep. what happened and saying, no, no, they did the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> So read it within like the context of what's yep. going on. And, and that's, we can be, we don't have to be scared of this as evangelicals, as reformed people. So yeah, of course, that's exactly what happened in Judges 19. The Israelites, they, they were up. extremely corrupt and they killed their own and they maimed their own and they raped their own. Like we can be very, very honest with what occurs, but we can say that this has been reversed in the new covenant. This has been reversed in Jesus Christ's uh, work where instead of the woman being cast out, he's cast out like he he takes upon all the stuff that happened to her takes upon the stuff all that happened to us he takes upon the stuff that happens to everybody who calls upon his name he takes upon all their burdens all their shame all their guilt everything that's happened to them wrong he takes upon himself 
and then gives us his perfection. And I think we can, we can tell those who, who look at this and say, how corrupt is your Bible? It's like, well, the Bible is just real about human corruption. It's more real yep. than any religious text in the world about human corruption. But what's great is the Bible shows us the redeemer of human corruption. It just doesn't leave it at that. And isn't like, I, I've told people this too, like you, you got to read like all these stories in the, con like just the overall flow yeah. and context of all of scripture, because um, yeah, God, like the, the old, the old Testament especially is descriptive of what was going on and who these people were. But I, I've said like, Hey, with the new covenant and the coming of Christ, like there is a, a greater awareness and a greater sense of like more, like moral responsibility because you read in the new Testament, like the qualifications for church leaders, yep. David, like David would have been like, uh, you know, suspend, like defrocked from the ministry because hundred percent. Of yep. his sexual sin. Now the same is true today, but but like the list of like the requirements and the godliness for a person who leads is like so much higher, yeah. right? Like it's yep. it's prescriptive in the New Testament. Yep. Um, whereas Old Testament is very descriptive and just mm -hmm. like these are the people God used mm -hmm. that yeah. time at that place. But now that the fullness of redemption has come and like the light of the gospel, like things are much more like we think of more permissive, but things are much more strict. Oh yeah. In the new covenant, like, you know, so just read those passages, like in their context, like this is a, this is just, it is what it is like, and we can be honest about it, but then we can point it toward Christ and say, yeah, because of that, look at the, yeah. look at the, like the heightened like scrutiny now that we have in the, in the new Testament. Yeah. And that's, and like what you were saying, what Nick was saying about quoting like these problem passages, if you want to call them that, but that's where I think a lot of the evangelical church, when we we preach too kind of joyfully, and I'm not saying don't preach joyfully, but when we only preach like the nice text, when we the happy stuff, the yeah, joyful text, the happy yep. text, then when our people, when our congregation, when we're confronted by critics of the faith, or when we're confronted by our own like corruption, the own corruption of society, then we're surprised, like, oh, I don't, yep. does the Bible speak to some of this stuff? Yeah, we can. That's that's why books like Judges should not be, um, they, they should not be forgotten about. Books like Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, a lot of the exilic yep. prophets shouldn't be forgotten, or even just like are, the Psalms, right? Yeah, like they are hard, but that's yep. that's like that's a ton of the Christian life is not just a happy, clappy, everything's good, my life is going great, I'm making all these yep. great decisions, everything's happening well for me. It's like our life is essentially the book of Judges, like. We're, yep. we're corrupt. Society's corrupt. Everything's corrupt. Um, and then we're hurt. We're shamed. We shame other people. We cause hurt to other people. And then I think we we can dig into that and saying that's that's exactly what we're delivered from. It's yep. our yeah. corruption, our dismay, the shame that has been cast upon us, the shame that we have caused other people, um, the horrible stuff we've done, the horrible stuff that's been done to us. Yep. I mean, primarily sin. But that's that's why preaching some of these messages from Judges and preaching from Ruth, I think, can speak if you if you're just really real about what the Bible describes yep. and saying this is exactly what you're redeemed from, and even not from, even through, you're redeemed through this stuff, not just to kind of save yourself from all the bad stuff, but even in the midst of bad, that God still works for His purposes. Yep, totally. Cool. Yeah, and um. As you guys were mentioning, Judges just ends in a 
it ends horribly. Yeah, horribly. But it should point us to. I'll I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. it. Just it just ends. Everyone did what was right in his eyes. They had no yeah. king in Israel. That that that's what I was going to get to. What is... novel ends this way? And well, everything went terribly. It points. It reminds me of the garden. It points back to the lie in the garden of the lie the the knowledge of truth and uh good the knowledge tree that we're not supposed to eat from. And the serpent's lie is, you know, defining good and evil yep. on your own terms. And that's exactly what the Israelites are doing. And they're being too influenced by the outside world, bringing in their idols and well, trying to do they're, things. They're first and foremost being influenced by their sin, not just by the outside world. And their, and their, heart, their, their hearts. They're, they're, yep, they're sinful hearts. And, from and, Genesis, or from, sorry, from Judges 17 to 21, no nations are described at all. It is just Israel. And so Israel's completely corrupt, like, Israel needs no help from surrounding nations being corrupt. They got all the corruption they can possibly use in their own hearts. Yep. Yeah, we're reading uh we're reading the Old Testament right now in our morning service through Ezekiel. And it gets to the, it, it gets to the point where uh there's an entire chapter that one of my one of my pastor friends calls the whore chapter. Ezekiel, I was about to this is Ezekiel 16. Yeah, and Ezekiel was saying that it like Judah, this is the southern kingdom, Judah. Like these are supposed to be like the select of the elect, you know, like the holy people. <laughs> they were so sinful that God describes them um as people that want like a well-endowed man who has a gigantic emission of semen. Like <laughs> exactly. That's how like lustful and disgusting they were. Like, yeah, they 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 were not satisfied other than by this kind of like they were so sinful. And God is like, you know. That's why you're gone. Like you're out of here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and these are the covenant people. Like, so like, it's like kind of what Peter said earlier, like by like, yeah, there's a remnant by grace through faith in the coming Messiah. But these people were wicked. Like mm -hmm. they were so far Just gone. All into like sin. it is. Yeah. They were wicked. Like God didn't have a whole lot to work with, <laughs> you know, like he's never had a lot to work with, but it's like, you know, like every time I read these passages and even like, just, in our like reading through the Bible, like I was, you know, give like a quick little summary sure. and then like, it just, it points us to the reality that God loves sinners, that God chooses sinners. God loves sinners. doesn't matter what sin we've committed. Like mm -hmm. we're never too far gone nope. for the Lord until he comes. Like today's a day of salvation. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God is a God of redemption and mm -hmm. a God who also, you know, works from the inside out to, you know, clean us up and to fix us and to more and more conform us to the image of Christ. So, yeah, yeah. read, the, you know, th these are like terrible, terrible passages to read, but you got to read them, you know, yeah. the, the word of Absolutely. God. Yep. One one more note that it reminds me of is just understanding the drama uh, and knowing what we're saved from. Yeah. And that that we're saved I, from for, ourselves. Yeah. And for you guys as, uh, you know, pastors, you're you're. This is an R.C. Sproul thing where he's talking about talk. And even Michael Horton, I've mentioned or heard him talk about, like, you got to explain the drama, the, the mm -hmm. what we're saved from in order to then bring in the gospel, the good news. And I think a lot of yep. churches miss that where mm -hmm. they don't jump in. They don't explain how bad things are and what yeah. we need to be saved from. And they and then people look at the gospel as just kind of a choice. Like, no, the, well, the if I don't like it's good help not good news. Yeah. It's, and if I don't pick the, if I, up, not news for you. And if yeah. I don't submit to Christ, you know, I'm still probably okay. I'm still a good person. It's like, no, no, no. Or even without like, Christ. Oh, Christ helps me. I can be like Christ. And there's all this stuff that Christ kind of adds to my life or. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say like, 
too many churches today, too many Christians today portray to the world that Jesus is like a good thing to add on to your life. Yeah. You know, like, hey, I a good example, like he's somebody I love to go work out at the gym and I find a lot of fulfillment in that. And, you know, or, hey, like I have this great group of, you know, moms that I hang out with every day. I drop my kids at school. You know, we have this couple, this group of couples that we hang out with on the weekends, you know, and this and that. Oh, and Jesus kind of like adds like a little more, like a little more like uh, of a dimension to my life, you know, to make a little more. But it's like he's never portrayed as like the remedy for your sins. Yep. You know. The one thing yeah. above all that you need, like the Pearl of Great Price, like we got to give up everything to find. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, he, he's added on as like another component to a, but a lot of people life. then hear that and they're like, well, I already do yoga. Why do I need Jesus? Exactly. You know, like, yeah. well, or, you know, or, hey, like I have I my guys. TED for, Talks. Why do I need to listen to this? Yeah. Sermon? Or, hey, I've got my, like my guys network that we go out to the desert on weekends and we drink and shoot. Like, why do I need Jesus? Yeah. Like that. I find fulfillment in that, you know, like, yeah. So, you know, I think or, it's yeah. one of the symptoms of, like Danny said, kind of happy, clappy, um, all, or always happy, clappy, always joyful messages. Yeah. Yeah. The gospel doesn't seem all that necessary when the Christian life is always described as, as joyful. When yep. I heard, uh, I heard Kevin DeYoung give a sermon once and he said, I think it was like a lecture, but, and he said, you know, uh, when he deals with like college students, He's like the level of apologetics is like so low that he's trying to convince college men that Jesus is more like Jesus is more satisfying than beer. Like that's what it comes down to yeah. that, you know, yeah. and he's like, that's why you can't just be like a moral, moralistic, therapeutic thing mm-hmm. that Jesus adds on to your life. It's like, no, he is. He's the one that like he gave his life for you mm-hmm. and for your sins and to redeem you from the per- the peril of eternal damnation. Like, mm-hmm. you know. He doesn't just add on to your life. He becomes your life. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Yep. Totally. That's so hopefully that helps people read judges and Ruth better and not just kind of neglect the hard stuff, but like yeah. yep. all, all of this stuff leads yep. us to Christ whom redeems us from all of this stuff. Yep. Amen. Thanks. Cool. Well, yeah. yeah. Next week we got a uh, first and second Samuel. So we have, they're looking for a King at the end of judges and, Everyone does right in their own eyes, and then they get the first king in Samuel, and it's doesn't go well. Yep. But that's yep. It'll, be, it'll be fun to dive into first and second Samuel to see. Okay, almost like okay, Israel, you wanted a king. Here you go. Let's let's see what you do with them. And, and Peter, you've preached through Judges. Mm-hmm. And uh, where 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 are you preaching these days? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad Danny went. There. So I'm I'm at Redeemer. I'm at Redeemer OPC in Santa Maria. We meet on like the north end of Santa Maria, Temple Bethel, right now. So the House a, of God, a, baby. A good yeah, good old Jewish synagogue <laughs> that we meet at, which is kind of fun. Um, so yeah, we have Sunday school at 9:45, and we're we're basically doing Jesus in the Old Testament right now for Sunday school. Nice. And for Sunday service, I'm preaching through the Gospel of John. Um, likely with, uh, Ecclesiastes coming after I'd cool. I'll be, I'll be somewhat towards the end of gospel of John when this comes out. So Ecclesiastes is probably coming after this fairly soon, but yeah, cool. so they can find me where they can work. And then I preached the gospel of John or I preached the, um, um, book of judges two years ago in Washington. And so I'll, I'll put up a link yep. for oh, nice. the sermons that I 
I preached on judges. And Danny, where can they find you in the sermon? And, so, and some of those sermons are on our YouTube as well, by the some way. Some of them are on Oceanside's YouTube yep. as well. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, people can find me at Oceanside United Reformed Church, Oceanside URC, O-U-R-C, as we call it. Uh, we're in Oceanside slash Carlsbad, North County of San Diego. Uh, Sundays, we're at 10 in the morning going through the whole Bible. And so I just finished last Sunday, Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Uh, this coming mm-hmm. Sunday is uh, Numbers. By the time this airs, I think I'll be like in Samuel. Oh, <laughs> it'll be somewhere pretty, pretty far into the historical books. Yeah, somewhere in that range of Samuel, I think, uh, or Kings, somewhere in there. But uh, yeah, because this is going to air like what Feb, Feb or March, so yeah, yeah maybe like February. Kings, yeah. Kings Chronicles, maybe. Um, yeah, and then Sunday uh, we have Sunday school, and then uh, uh, like adults hang out for snacks, whatever. Kids go to Sunday school. Last Sunday we had uh, the most amazing breakfast burritos. And uh, for 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 snack, everyone was just it was awesome. Um, and then five o'clock in the evening, yep. we meet. Uh, this year, twenty twenty three, we're just finishing up uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. Yeah. Yep. So I'm like in the very end of that, the Lord's Prayer right now. But by the time this airs, uh, five o'clock service uh, in twenty twenty four will be in the Psalms hmm. in the evening. Nice. So I'll be picking up. I think January, the first Sunday of January, with Psalm sixty nine. Like I okay. I've done yep. off and on Psalms over the many years. So. Yep. I'll be picking up at some point. Hopefully, hopefully it'll finish. So, yeah. but yeah, people can find us uh, oceansideurc.org. Find us on social media. All that, all that fun stuff. Cool. And then Danny, Nick- is that Danny? Is that really coincidental that the recordings we've been doing are matching up with your <laughs> sermons? <laughs> well, uh, it was like I think when when you guys first asked me to would I do some episodes, and then I said, yeah, I'll do the whole. You know, hey, I'll do the yeah. whole thing. I was thinking about what to preach anyway, and so that made my choice was like, you know what. I want to, I've always preached through it, you know, just books of the Bible. Yep. Um, and I'm like, I've preached through like in 23 years, like roughly half of the Bible. Mm. So um, I want to do a whole series kind of overviewing the whole thing. Yep. Oh, nice. It's been really, I mean, it's been super challenging, but it's also been super fun. So yep. then I was like, you know what? I'll do that at, at Oceanside. So we're kind of meshing together like th- <laughs> these episodes and then my sermon prep and that kind of thing. So it's been fun. So good. Yep. And then, so I, yeah, I, I think Peter might have put like on the show notes or that's not yep. like I've preached to Genesis, yep. Exodus, Leviticus, mm-hmm. um, and then I, if you skip ahead, I've done like yeah, Ruth, I've done First Second Samuel, mm-hmm. so uh, but some of the books I'm kind of I haven't done so like Judges, I'm sketchy on that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's well, I'll have to do a whole. I'm going to do one whole sermon on the on Judges. So Peter just gave me sermon notes to. There, nice. <laughs> there you go. Maybe yeah. hopefully these conversations are somehow help. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, my my sermons on judges will be linked, and then Danny's on cool. Ruth will be linked. Cool. Um, and then Nick, where th- where can people find you? Well, as we're recording right now, not when the audience is listening right now. Uh, uh, I'm a member at Trinity Orthodox Presbyterian Church, so OPC, uh, in Dana Point, California. Uh, Reverend John Morsh, uh, Westminster Seminary, California graduate, uh, is the pastor there. Uh, great church, like South Orange County. So it's north of Danny's church. What yep. about half hour, 45 Probably minutes? Like, yeah. Depends on, I mean, are, are you guys in Capo Beach or actually Dana Point? Yeah. Great question. Thanks for clarifying that. It's actually technically Capo Beach at yep. Palisades Elementary School, but yep. have, no one knows. It's like a neighborhood of Dana Point. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, yeah. It's like 30 okay. minutes. It's like 25, yeah. 30 minutes. But oh, in California perfect. traffic, that could be two hours. It could be on Sundays, especially like in the, yeah. well, in the summertime going, going south. Oh, it's the worst. 
in the morning it's nuts mm. and then going back north in the afternoon it's crazy so it is when we drive home because we got to go north from church when we're driving uh, home from church it the traffic is always nuts yeah it's nuts so yeah. uh anyway yeah we right after sermons uh we do the adult sunday adult sunday school and uh children's sunday school service uh and then later in the evening we do the catechism so it's great what church. Are you guys what are you guys doing for adult Sunday school? Curious. Uh, he is going through. He just finished up doing the. We can um, tell if Nick's been going to Sunday school or not. If he if he answers this correctly. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, so the current one, I've been a little bit more busy with our baby, and so I let Valerie kind of dig into it. But um, I I know we just wrapped up the eschatology series, so he's explaining oh, the cool, differences right. between all mill, post mill, pre mill, um, and then. He also pan mill. Yeah, I was and then, to say pan mill too. <laughs> yeah, pan mill. <laughs> and then the uh three offices of Christ. Oh, cool. Too. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So um, yeah, it's good stuff. So and then Sunday nights, you guys do like uh shorter catechism stuff, or what do you guys do? Yeah, walking through uh uh all the catechisms, the the uh we'll do you know the Westminster uh shorter catechism, we'll yep. you know, dips into the cans of dort, the three oh, forms cool. a little mm-hmm. bit too. Nice. Uh, as you know, you know John Morris, so he's yeah, he's, he's a got, URC, former URC guy. Yeah, so he likes the the uh, three forms of unity. I as gotta well. admit, the three forms are near and dear to my heart. What's Do you guys great, use the? It's just not uh, three the, forms. Do you guys use the Trinity Psalter hymnal? The yeah. the new OPC URC. We one? don't, okay. and I like we do. I the church that I preach at Redeemer knows I'm not a huge. We use the Trinity hymnal. The, yeah, you guys got you guys got to chuck that man. I know, and I want to chuck it. I want to use. You got to graduate. Trinity. Graduate to, want, the, to the big leagues. I want to use it because we don't have any. We don't have any direct psalms in yeah. the Trinity hymnal, and I want psalms. I want the Trinity Psalter hymnal. There are some in there, but they're kind of buried. It's hard to they find. They are them. buried. You can't find. Yeah. Like they're not. They're not ordered like the Trinity Psalter yeah. hymnal is. Yeah, which is like kind of mixed in. I was like, how am I, on earth am I supposed to find any psalms in this stinking hymnal? Yep. Cool. Well, we will yeah. see everybody next week for first and second Samuel and see awesome. how Israel's request for a king like the nation's ghosts. Go, nice. It goes really well. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode in our seventh season, Jesus and all of scripture. Please make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast catcher or on our YouTube channel. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and write a review. These really do help the show reach a wider audience as we continue with our goal of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology for all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. We'll see you next week for another episode.